these, these days with this uh, virus invasion are described, as I said, as unprecedented. And half of humanity is now on lockdown. So, so many nations are under the threat of the spread of the virus and therefore are having to confine at home. And I don't think ever in the history of the world has been such a fantastic um, shutting down of life in so many continents. It is truly unprecedented. But in addition to pandemic, the coronavirus, we have things like the um, plagues, which are found in Africa with locusts. It was a bad invasion last year. And now they're talking that this year's invasion is said to be 20 times worse. So in addition to the problems which they're facing with the virus, they have this threat of the locusts coming and taking whatever crops there are. And then in addition to that, we have an uptick in the number of earthquakes, um, big earthquakes in America, uh, this one in Zagreb, the largest earthquake in 140 years. And in fact, uh, in today's paper, there are even more earthquakes happening. And then in addition to all of that, we have volcanoes, very active. Uh, these in Iceland, uh, having been active from the 10th century to uh, the 13th century, and now suddenly after 700 years, sprung to life again. And again in America, they are thinking that in the Yellowstone area, there is going to be a big eruption on the scale of St. Helens. And in the paper today, Japan is experiencing a big eruption uh, with one of her volcanoes. So we have to say, you know, why is the, this uptick? What, what else is happening that these pandemics and plagues and earthquakes and eruptions are happening now? What do they portend? Well, we believe that this is part of the signs of our times. So we say, well, signs of what? Signs of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. This is what we firmly believe, that God is in control and that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. And he has given us signs to tell us when that time is going to be. Well, we may recall an incident in the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him, uh, they were tempting him, uh, and they asked him for a sign from heaven. And he said, when it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? So what he was saying, he wasn't really particularly interested in the signs which we still have today. We say red sky at night, shepherd's delight, red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. But Jesus wasn't concerned with what the weather is going to be the next day. He needed his followers to understand that they were 
in a position where God is in control of everything and he is moving his purpose forward and God is giving signs to his followers that the next great step in God's plan is about to unfold. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back and is coming back as king of the Jews and as king of the world. Now, listen to these words, which are so well known, but very few understand their implication. The angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she was going to have a child and that the Lord God would give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Well, that's nothing that we have seen or experienced, but this is what a Bible Christian hopes for, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back to rule not only over the house of Jacob, but over the whole of the earth. And we remember that when he was about to be born, the angel came and spoke to Joseph, the husband of Mary, husband-to-be, and said, you know, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child that she's having is conceived of the Holy Spirit and you got to call his name Jesus or Yahshua. Yahweh saves, God saves, for he shall save his people from their sins. So what people was he referring to? Well, in the first instance, it is the nation of Israel. He was born a Jew and his, he was sent into the world to save his people from their sins. And he taught the disciples to pray for Thy kingdom to come, thy will to be done on earth, as, as in heaven, so in earth. And this is what the true Christian hopes for, that day when men and women upon this earth will be obedient to God, and God's will will indeed be done as the angels do it in heaven, so men and women will obey God on earth. That's what we're looking for. And when Jesus died, he died as king of the Jews. The soldiers put that inscription, which Pilate had written, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. So he died as king of the Jews. And he rose as king of the Jews. In the beginning of Acts, when uh, 40 days after the resurrection, they were walking together uh, towards Bethany over the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he didn't say to them, oh, we've got it all wrong. No, he just said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. You have a work to do to preach the gospel. But the Lord Jesus will eventually come to restore the kingdom to Israel. And shortly after, he was taken up into heaven and the angels that suddenly appeared to the eleven as they were looking up into heaven, watching Jesus depart, gave this promise. The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. 
and that's what we're looking for. And this is what God has given us signs towards. And the Bible paints a wonderful picture of this coming time. These are well-known words from Isaiah the prophet, speaking of the time when the Lord Jesus is back as king over Israel and king over the world. It's a lovely picture. It shall come to pass in the last days, and we believe that we're living in these last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. All nations shall flow unto it. Many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. But out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he continues with this wonderful picture that he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. That's what Christadelphians are looking forward to. This wonderful time when the Jesus Christ is back on this earth and the kingdom of God is established in Jerusalem and stretching over all the earth. And so we believe that the troubles that this world is facing are signs which God is sending to wake people up as to the nearness of this return. So what are these signs that Jesus is coming back very soon? Well, a very troubled world of nature. We've experienced floods and fires and plagues and pandemics. And God is telling us to wake up. He's using his world of nature to warn us and to punish because so many people refuse to acknowledge God as a God, as a creator, preferring to believe in evolution and turning their back on the things that God has said is right, they pervert and say, no, that is wrong. And so God is sending signs to make people think. And we look back in history, uh, and one of the biggest upheavals was the flood in the times of Noah. And God tells us that man was very wicked and violent and had turned their back on him. And the biggest catastrophe that the earth has ever experienced was the worldwide flood. But God warned, or through Noah, that generation, that this was going to happen. They were given opportunity to join Noah on the ark, but they ignored what Noah was doing. I'm sure they laughed to scorn this man and his family who were building this huge boat in the middle of dry land, miles away from any water. But one day, they found out that Noah's words were true. And God did send a flood. And that world, apart from those in the ark, perished because they didn't heed the words of God. So they had signs, but they ignored them. 
And too late, they found that Noah was telling the truth. So another occasion when there were plague sent, and this was upon a nation, uh, this was uh, a very powerful nation, the Egyptian nation, who were holding God's people, the Jews, in bondage, in slavery. And ten plagues were sent to persuade the Egyptians to let Israel go free. Uh, and they just came one after another, and a little gap, and then another plague, increasing in intensity until the final plague, the tenth plague, was the death of all the firstborn, from Pharaoh on the throne to the slave people um, in prison. Uh, all their firstborn ch children died, and the Israelites were thrust out of Egypt. But again, God warned them, uh, and they chose to ignore the signs uh, until eventually they were driven to let the Israelites go free. And we read of God using plagues on the journey which Israel took from Egypt to the Promised Land. It should have been a short journey, but because of their unfaithfulness, it took 40 years. And we read of time and time again, God sending plagues to punish them. So this is the incident of the... 12 spies who had gone to spy out the land uh, and came back, 10 of them with a, an evil report saying there were giants which would prevent them from conquering the land. But two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said, no, we're well able with God's help to conquer. Uh, and the people rebelled and God sent a plague. Now, what the plague was, we don't know, but those 10 men that brought up the evil plague just suddenly died. And that was a big warning to the nation of Israel that God was punishing them for their unbelief and unfaithfulness. And then during the uh, wilderness journey, there was a rebellion by Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And... Aaron was sent to stand between the living and the dead with uh, incense on his censer. And it says the plague was stayed. 14,700 people just died on the spot. A terrible punishment for their lack of faith and belief in the things of God. And then right at the end of the journey, there was another terrible plague, the biggest plague that had hit them to that time, when 24,000 died, when the Israelites went so whoring after the gods of the Moabites, and God sent this plague. Again, what plague it was, we don't know, but it was a punishment sent from God to punish them. We read of plagues in the New Testament. Jesus healed many who were suffering from various illnesses, including the terrible plague of leprosy. And Jesus healed many lepers uh, during his ministry. And in the Acts of the Apostles, we read of Herod, who was suddenly smitten with some terrible intestinal disease, uh, which killed him in a few days. Um, but that was a punishment from God because he had the opportunity to bring glory to God, but chose to have glory on himself. 
And the Lord Jesus warned his disciples that the time was going to come when pestilences would be a sign for his disciples. So let's now just spend some time on uh, these things. So we read from Luke chapter 21. And if we just go back earlier in the chapter from what we read, I'll, it'll be up on the screen as well. The chapter opens with this picture of Jesus and the disciples leaving the temple and the disciples drawing the attention of Jesus to the wonderful stones that were the construction of the temple. Huge stones, hundreds of tons in weight, absolute marvel of building. Um, was Herod's temple. And Jesus shocked them when he said, uh, there shall not left, be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they walked as their custom was to the Mount of Olives where they spent the night. And the disciples came to him and asked him, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? The Greek there for world is aeon, age. Uh, the world didn't come to an end, but the Jewish age did come to an end. And Jesus spent the night instructing the disciples as to the signs which would lead up to this time, which came to pass in AD 70 when the Romans came and destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem. So he gave signs to the disciples in order that they might know where they were. And some of the signs are listed, and just get the screen to move on. It says, when you hear of wars and commotions, so you promise that there will be military threats, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then he said unto them, nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be a period of civil unrest and war. There will be great earthquakes uh, in divers places. And then the world of nature, famines and pestilences, droughts, diseases, plagues, and fearful sights and great signs in heaven. Nature was going to be turned upside down, he says. Now, these were signs which came to pass and it's not unreasonable to believe that uh, with the uh, greater uh, event of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ there should be similar um, events which would mark the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ which we shall see in a moment and very interestingly um, this uh, Olivet prophecy is in the three uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke's account. In the Mark account, he just adds where it's got nation shall rise against nation. Uh, he adds this phrase, these are the beginnings of sorrows. And that word sorrows is the word that means um, it's a pang, a pain, especially of childbirth. We today would say contractions. And anybody who's uh, had a baby will know what contractions are all about. When contractions come, you at first wonder, well, 
is this spit or not? And then after a while, I become stronger, more frequent. And one realizes, yes, these are. And they get stronger, more frequent uh, and unstoppable uh, until there is birth. Uh, and that's what we believe these signs were in the time that led up to AD 70. And we're going to have similar signs. Things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse uh, until the Lord Jesus comes back. And so in AD 70, the Romans came, besieged Jerusalem, burnt it down, destroyed it uh, in their search for gold, which they had heard had been hidden between the stones. They pulled the stones down so that there was, as Jesus had foretold, not one stone left upon another. And we know not only from Bible accounts, but non-biblical sources, that the signs that Jesus had given indeed came to pass. Tacitus was a Roman historian, and he wrote in AD 51, this year witnessed many prodigies, signs or omens, including repeated earthquakes. And Josephus, um, writing um, at the time of the, when the Romans came, records in his history leading up to it that an earthquake in Judea was such a magnitude that the constitution of the universe was confounded for the destruction of men. He also wrote that earthquakes were a common calamity. And he lists out some of them, earthquakes in Crete, in Smyrna, Miletus, Chios, Samos, Laodicea, Hierapolis and Colossae, Campania and Rome and in Judea. So there were a lot of unprecedented earthquakes, strong earthquakes, frightening earthquakes. And Jesus had given another sign that when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, they know that its desolation is near. And the Romans came, uh, eventually surrounded Jerusalem, and it eventually fell. And then the words that Jesus followed on with, they, the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword, came to pass. Many died of plagues, many were slain, many were crucified outside the city walls, uh, and those that were left were taken away and sold as Slaves, the slave markets of the world were flooded. You could buy Jewish slaves very, very cheaply. And Jesus said that Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And so we're living in this time period of the times of the Gentiles, when Gentiles have had control over Jerusalem. Now, true it is that in 1967, the Jews retook Jerusalem, but it still is a divided city. And we know from scriptures, and we shall see one or two of them, that Jerusalem again is going to be taken by the Gentiles, the non-Jewish nations. And it's only after that that the Lord Jesus appears on the scene to save his people in their hour of trouble, and restore Jerusalem to the Jewish nation and to rule as king. So we believe that we're in this time of the ending of the times of the Gentiles is soon to come to pass. And it will be at this time 
that the Lord Jesus comes back at first unknown by the world. His first task is to raise from the dead his followers and call together those living ones that are striving to walk in the ways which are found within the pages of the Bible. And there is to be a time of judgment and those who are acceptable to the Lord Jesus will then receive that wonderful gift of immortality to be like the Lord Jesus is now. And it is when that has taken place that then the Lord Jesus will reveal himself in a, a wonderful way as he saves his people in their hour of distress. So we read on uh, later, so having told us that Jerusalem is to be trodden down of the Gentiles, then Jesus gives our generation these particular signs. There will be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars. And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now Jesus is using symbols here, symbols which the disciples would understand. When he talks about the sun, moon and stars, I'm sure their minds would go back to Joseph and the dreams that Joseph had, because Joseph, as a young man, dreamed dreams, didn't he? And one of his dreams was uh, that the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to him. And then he saw another aspect of it. My sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his father understood what that meant because he rebuked Joseph and said, you know, are we going to bow down to you? Well, we know in the history that took place that, that indeed did take, did happen. Uh, Joseph was indeed their saviour. It was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ saving his people uh, in their hour of need. And so sun, moon and stars are not necessarily the physical sun, moon and stars, but the political uh, heavens. And so when we read of signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, we're talking the sun as representing the governments of this world uh, and the moon, the ecclesiastical systems. And I'm sure as a result of the current coronavirus, that when eventually nations do emerge from it, there will be big changes. Uh, governments have been greatly weakened. Uh, other powers will take advantage and uh, take control of weaker nations. And we shall see ecclesiastical powers banding together to unite uh, together, exactly as we've been waiting to see, because scripture has told us that. So signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth distress of nations with perplexity. People um, just don't know what is going to be the end of these things. Uh, and anxiety is greatly increasing, mental health problems. It is very stressful. 
with Bible in hand, we know that this is part of God's um, guidance to his children, that these are signs that the master is at hand. But those who don't understand these things find them very distressing. But it talks about um, the sea and the waves roaring. Now, in scripture, sea and the waves are used of peoples. And when there's a very rough sea, that's a symbol of people being unhappy, demonstrating. Uh, and again, we've seen that, haven't we, in France, the yellow vests. Uh, we're seeing them in America now as people are protesting at the lockdown. Uh, and this unrest uh, and instability is something is a sign for us and will only get worse. Men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming upon the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken so expect to see great political upheaval and then he says then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory now it doesn't mean by that that he's going to be sitting in a cloud a cloud is made up of millions of drops of water. And in scripture, clouds is used of Christ's followers, the resurrected saints. And the earth is going to experience the Lord Jesus Christ and his immortal followers coming to save Israel in their hour of distress. And they will have great power and glory. That's interesting, those phrases, power and glory, because the end of the Lord's prayer was, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So we're looking for that kingdom to come. And when it comes, then the Lord Jesus will have power and glory to be able to put into place the righteous laws of God and to punish those who would refuse to accept the kingdom of God. And as we said, the Lord Jesus used the analogy of birth pains or contractions. So things are going to get worse and worse. Now, we looked at that passage from Isaiah about the wonderful picture of the kingdom established. And then the Lord Jesus is back and king and nations are coming to it. And it's, as is so often with uh, the Bible, at the beginning of the chapter, the beginning of the prophecy, we have this picture of what is going to be the final outcome, the kingdom established. And then the rest of the chapter tells us how it's going to be uh, accomplished, the steps that will lead to this ultimate picture of the kingdom established. And so when we go further into the chapter, it talks about the uh, frightening time men will be made the haughtiness of man will be made low and god alone exalted and they'll go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth so we're seeing increasing earthquakes they will get worse and there will be a final one great big earthquake which will shatter the towns and the cities of this world 
and uh, usher in the kingdom of God. He talks in the next uh, group bit to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the tops of the ragged, rock, ragged rocks for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. Now, what is so fascinating is that the kingdom of God is going to be established in Israel. That's where God's put his nation in the land of Israel. And Israel is on the meeting point of two tectonic plates, the African plate and the Arabian plate. And they're moving in opposite directions. And that's why the Jordan Valley uh, is uh, known as a rift valley. And it is a, a place of um, tectonic instability. And there was a headline last year that Israel is hundreds of years overdue for a massive earthquake. Now, God has talked about earthquakes uh, and especially one in uh, Israel, as we shall see in a moment. Now, there have been major earthquakes back in 31 BC, 363 AD, 749, 1233, 1212. But we've gone 800 years without a major. There have been quite a few earthquakes, and uh, even this year have been quite a few in Israel, but there hasn't been a massive one. And it was back 15 years ago when Israel's population was nowhere near as great as it was now that the government calculated that if there was an earthquake and 7.5 on the Richter scale, then there'll be 16,000 deaths and serious injuries. Um, now, they, they won't put a figure now because it, it's too frightening the destruction that would come with a big earthquake in Israel, because so many of the buildings are not built to withstand earthquakes. Now, again, what is so incredible is that God has told us what he's going to do, and he has set in place the means for it to happen. This is an aerial view of Jerusalem, a Google Earth. You can see the temple on the left-hand side there. And what I've ringed in blue there is the Mount of Olive Range. And you can see that hand um, on the map, and there's a dark valley running along there. Now that is a rift fault, which runs east-west through the Mount of Olives. If I just uh, superimpose a map which um, illustrates that, you can see that earthquake fault line. So what the Bible tells us is that the Mount of Olives in this big earthquake associated with the coming of the Lord Jesus to save his people is going to move to the north and to the south. And there's going to be a big valley running from west to east. Um, water is going to flow from Jerusalem down into the Dead Sea and heal it. So we see this incredible, um, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't pulled the map across. And um, there's the map. Um, let's say this, this fault there. So today, when we see the Mount of Olives, 
there is uh, this solid-looking hill um, running right across there from north to south, the backbone of Israel. Uh, and what Zechariah chapter 14 in verses 4, 5 and 10 tell us, that in this big earthquake, that mountain is going to split in two and say move east and west. So that then there is a valley, uh, a temple eventually is going to be built in Jerusalem and water will run down into that valley, down to the Dead Sea and heal it. And the prophet Zechariah in chapter 14 tells us that there's going to be a big change in the topography of Israel as a result of this big earthquake, which God talked about in Isaiah 2 when he arises to shake terribly the earth. Now, at the moment, uh, the, if we took a cross-section of the land of Israel, Jerusalem is uh, at the top of that where I've got Judean hills, that mount crest there just to the S of hills is where Jerusalem is, and the Mount of Olives represents the top of that. And the Dead Sea is way below sea level. Now, as a result of the earthquake and the description that is given, we have a picture which emerges of the great change, so that the, the flat area of which the future temple that will be built when the Lord Jesus comes back is central part where the nations of Isaiah chapter 2 come up to worship at the temple there. And the Dead Sea, instead of being a Dead Sea, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah tell us will become a living sea. In fact, it will reverse direction of its flow. Um, so great changes brought about. So when we read in Isaiah chapter 2, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. It indicates that this is a time of changed topography. Now it's not hard to understand that such an earthquake as that will have a devastating effect to the cities and buildings around the world because God's kingdom doesn't belong to this world. God's kingdom belongs to a rural community based around the world of nature which God has created, a man and women living in harmony with nature, tilling the soil and praising God for the benefits that they receive. But before that, um, Nations are going to come against God's people. And we haven't time to really look at this, but just throw this in. But uh, Ezekiel chapter 38 uh, tells us that nations, mainly Christian nations, but some of them Muslim, uh, gather together with a leader called Gog, uh, which we believe is pointing to Russia. Maybe Mr. Putin will be that Gog who is of the land of Magog and Prince of Rosh and Meshach and Tubal and has associated with him Persia, which is Iran and Ethiopia, Libya, Goma and Tagama, a huge assembly of nations who come against Israel to destroy Israel as a nation. 
And when that happens, then God says uh, in Ezekiel 38, having described all these nations and how they come against his people, um, that when go comes against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. So there's a consistent message here that there is to be even greater troubles than we have today when God demonstrates his power. So earthquakes. Um, and in addition to that, uh, every man's sword is going to be against his brother. So these many nations have come together and succeeded in taking possession of Israel. Um, but then there's going to be a falling out among themselves. Uh, and I will plead against him with pestilence. So again, just as in the past, God will send plagues. Uh, I will rain upon him. So floods, overflowing rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. So volcanic ash and that. God's going to use the forces of nature to show to the peoples that he is Israel's God. And they have defied his people uh, in seeking to destroy them. And they will come to an end because God will destroy those nations who have come against his people in order that they might know that he is the Lord. And the prophet Zechariah, and we've uh, looked at chapter 14, but in an earlier chapter, chapter 12, again describes Jerusalem as a burdensome stone and describes many nations burdening themselves with Jerusalem and they're going to reap their own destruction. And it describes a terrible plague that will come uh, against those people who have taken Jerusalem. In that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I will open mine eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. So this is some um, uh, obviously, horses and riders were the army of the time of Zechariah. Today we have tanks and aeroplanes and that, but the idea is that uh, those in control, the human beings, are going to be struck with this plague, which will cause their tanks and their weaponry to be useless and go out of control, as it were. And in chapter 14, that chapter that tells us of the earthquakes, describes this plague. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. Now that's a frightening picture, isn't it? it? It recalls to us the nuclear bombs on Japan and the effect of uh, radiation from an atomic bomb. Well, this isn't upon atomic bombs, but this is the Lord Jesus and his followers being able to use God's spirit power to suddenly, instantly destroy 
those who would oppose his people and his land. Uh, we stopped in their tracks. So why does God bring these plagues? Why are we suffering at this time? Well, it's a wake-up call to turn people and nations to turn back to his ways. And it's a warning that if we've got this now, what is to follow? It'll get worse and worse. And so he's bringing his judgments upon those who ignore him um, in order that people might recognise that God is in control. He is the only true and living God and he demands obedience. And we, when we looked at the plagues, um, we see that God warns people. And in this plague, Moses was sent to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. If you refuse to let them go, then your cattle and your oxen in this particular plague are going to be hit with a very severe uh, pestilence. So God uses these forces as his punishment upon disobedient people. And we live in a world which sadly uh, refuses to follow the ways of God. And God is sending these things to warn people, but make people think. And that's what we've got to do. And the prophets, Jeremiah, spoke of how God um, has used these things in the past. The prophets that have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. And so even uh, Israel was told that if you don't observe to do what I've written, uh, then I'll bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues and serious and prolonged sicknesses. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the Jewish people have suffered many times. They have been persecuted and decimated and because they haven't been obedient. But... God is merciful. Um, he will bring them back. He has promised that uh, he will be hallowed in the sight of any nations. And then they, Israel, will know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land. That's one of the great signs for us today, isn't it? The Jews have gone back to their land. They are living there now. And God says, I will not hide my face from them anymore, but I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. So we look for this time to come when the Lord Jesus will come back. And God has promised that if nations uh, repent, then he will repent of the disaster that he is planning for them. But if they don't repent, then they will experience his hand. So as we get closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is giving us an opportunity to repent. 
We live in a godless world which refuses to acknowledge God as the creator, chooses to believe in evolution, breaks his commandments with impunity, promotes lifestyles which are abhorrent to God, we know. So it's not surprising to see the growing frequency of judgments, whether they're pandemics, whether they're plagues, whether they're fires or floods or volcanoes or earthquakes. These are all God's wake-up calls to people to realise they've got to change their lives if they wish to be in the kingdom of God. So how are we going to respond to these signs from God? Well, we've got two choices. We can either ignore them and chafe under the restrictions that are placed upon us, or we can accept the opportunity that we have to seize God's way of salvation. We know that there is a better day to come and the world is going to suffer and be very troubled as it seeks its own solutions to these problems. But as God brings more and more, they will find that they are in a, a no way out situation. Whereas believers can take hope. This is what the Bible has said is going to happen. We've seen the signs that Israel's gone back to their land. We've got a wonderful and great hope. God's kingdom is coming. Have no doubt about it. And it's going to be centred in the land of Israel. God placed the Jews deliberately at this meeting point where people can come up from Africa, from Europe. Unknown participant from, is now exiting. From Europe and from Asia, from America, North and South, and from Australia. It's the meeting point. And God chose the land of Israel with the kingdom in mind. And so we pray that you'll find out what the true gospel is all about. In this world of trouble and darkness, it is a message of hope. And so we can see that there is a way out, and that's to be on the Lord's side in this day, that we might be with the Lord Jesus when he comes back. Thank you. Mm -hmm.